0: Well, if you all have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up Jeremiah twenty-four. We're going to continue our journey through Jeremiah. Um, we enter into uh, a unique section toward—gosh, um, what? How do I want to call it? <clears throat> We're going to deal with—we uh, we saw the prophecies concerning the last four kings, the last three chapters. We're going to wrap it up uh, in the the vision of the figs. Uh, We're going to talk about that tonight. And then we're going to hear the culmination. We're going to hear the length of the exile. We're going to hear the promises of God's uh, bringing the people home. And uh, for me, you know, I've shared with you guys before as we've been working our way through Jeremiah, how much I feel like I could set the... My newspaper next to the Bible, and find so many parallels between our nation, between the attitudes in our nation, the 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 obvious at least acceptance on on at least part of the uh, political system to an ideology that is opposed to Christ, uh, the acceptance of that, and at the same time of, of accepting that ideology of rejecting uh, the the ideology or theology of of Christ. And so that's definitely something that we see more and more coming out. Uh, we have a, a a part of the United States that's not part of the United States anymore in Washington. That's kind of cool. We'll see how that all settles down. Um, what do they call it? You guys remember? It's something weird. What's the acronym? New, 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 free, new, Oh, come on. I want to call it Chew, but I don't think that's right. But anyway, you guys look. You'll see it. Um, Seven blocks. uh, They have a sign out in front of it now, not entering the United States or leaving the United States when you walk in. And I think pretty much everybody around it is just kind of waiting for all that stuff to fizzle. And prayerfully, all that stuff fizzles, and maybe this is just a flash in a pan, and we're not in full-fledged judgment of God, and we have opportunity to cry out to the Lord in an attitude of repentance and see God turn the hearts of the people back to the Father, right? We want to claim things like Joel chapter 2, you know, that Peter talked about the day of Pentecost, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the, the, the give your young men dreams and your old men visions and have the Spirit of God come upon the church and move through the church in a mighty way, and I hope there's one more great big swing. Well, I don't don't know if that's how that's going to play out, right? And we look at, it's interesting because tonight as we look at Jeremiah 24, amidst all the chaos, one of the things that really comes uh, resounding through is the idea that maybe what you think is good and what God thinks is good are two different things. You ever felt that in your life, the experiences that we have or the things that we face you know, we maybe we say, "Lord, how can this be good uh, tonight?" Maybe you'll maybe you'll have to uh, come face to face with that reality. That the reality is sometimes what's good, what God says is good, and it is good, is not still not what we want, or what we want to experience. So let's look Jeremiah twenty four, short chapter tonight, <clears throat> um, first three verses after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon had taken into exile from Jerusalem Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, the metal workers, and brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. So let's get our timetable. This is the second exile. So this is the second exile. The first exile you have Daniel going to Babylon. Okay, everybody kind of get the timetable in there in their mind, um, Nebuchadnezzar conquers, Daniel is taken, and he sets up a, a puppet king. Then you have a uh, second exile, rebellion against Babylon by the, the king of Judah, and he comes in second uh, exile, you have Ezekiel going, maybe just so you can put the times table, where's Ezekiel, what's going on, and you had to lose Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's going to uh, or Jeconiah, sorry, is going to spend the rest of his time in uh, Babylon and Jehoiakim, um, the son of Jehoiakim, and we're going to have Zedekiah sitting on the throne. That's the last king of 11 years before the final uh, exile and total destruction of Jerusalem. So it kind of puts it together where we're at, what's going on, what's happening. <clears throat> so he says, now during that time, so. You you want to have as a background, Jeremiah has walked through the town, told the people to surrender, told the people to cross the line, to go back, to to go back and, and give up and become slaves, which seems like a bad thing. Going into exile, that doesn't seem good. That can't be God's plan. And sometimes the people back in, I just want you to get this picture in your mind. People back in Jerusalem are thinking, Phew. Well, that's the second time we've been conquered and I didn't get taken away. And God's going to say, if you're in the group that didn't get taken away, you're in the bad figs. That's not good. The good figs are the ones that were taken into exile, who were conquered and became slaves and have gone back. To Babylon and so it's the idea is not it's not that uncommon right when we look at the gospel we look at who Jesus is ministering to we look at the attitude of the Lord as he reaches out to people oftentimes the people we think have no value are the ones that do have value and oftentimes our ideas are backwards you remember when we look at the seven letters of the seven churches in Revelation there was a church that was very wealthy who thought they were doing great right They weren't doing so good. Right? That's the church that the Lord said, uh, I, I would that you were hot or cold, but you are lukewarm, so I will vomit you out of my mouth. So that's not good, right? You have another church that is poor and under persecution and life is hard, and they're pretty sure they're not doing well. And the Lord says to them, Man, you guys are, are doing amazing. And he had no point of of condemnation against them at all. We can't always judge God's pleasure or our walking in his will according to the gift difficulty of the steps we're having to take, according to how hard it is or how difficult it is or or, and so oftentimes, right, we just want peace. I want peace. I like peace. I'm good with peace. I like everybody happy, everything good. But look, I get that when I see Jesus and he's king. But up until that, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome. Right? I have overcome. So. We don't want to judge that by the ease of the journey. The ease of the journey is not always indicative that I'm on the right path. We tracking. So he says, "I have a, I had a vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord." So you have this idea. It's like, it's almost like as though uh, uh, Jeremiah is walking past the temple and he he sees this example, right? But he's saying he's laying out for us. There's two. There's two baskets sitting in the presence of God judgment right which which wh- where's the good where's the bad which one is approved which one is not approved so they're before the lord it says one basket had very good figs uh like first ripe figs <clears throat> but the other basket had very bad figs so bad they could not be eaten so the idea one's good figs one's rotten figs right figs you're not going to want to you're not going to want to eat so, the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Now, this is something God did with Jeremiah often, and it's, I think, something that the Lord still wants to do with us today. It's important that when God asks us this question, we stop and think, what do you see? Because sometimes the things we see that that we're enduring, that we're going through, that we're focused on, are, are not the things we ought to be focused on. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I believe Scripture would tell us that the single most absolutely satisfying... uh, I hate to use the word thing. Let's use the word being. The single most satisfying being in the entire universe is God. And the only way we are going to find our purpose and our joy is by understanding knowing experiencing that single most satisfying being in all the universe and so as long as we're able to keep our focus on the Lord okay we keep God central to the things happening around us right we keep our view on him then no matter what the storm is doing, we have solid footing because we are focused on the single most satisfying being in all the universe, and He is—that is who God is. He is everything that we we are ever going to need, and the peak uh, fulfillment of all of our desires. So our great challenge is to know that about Him, right? To grow in our understanding and knowledge of God, to know that about Him, to enjoy that about Him, and then to show that, right? That our lives are expressing that reality that we found. In God, that He is most glorious. That's how the Bible would use it, right? Uh, and for the word glory, I'm thinking of just His magnificence, His beauty, His everything that He is, is far transcendent anything we can experience. And as long as my eyes hit that, it doesn't matter whether I'm going through the experiences of Smyrna, which was a church that was facing intense persecution and felt like maybe because of that persecution, we're not, we're, we're not where we ought to be because if we were, God wouldn't allow this persecution in our life. And to them, the Lord says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. That's the only thing the Lord says to them. Hey, you guys are doing good. Stay faithful. Right? And then we, we have, you know, the, the example of Laodicea who was pretty sure they had it all figured out because life was good. Life was easy. Things were well, we're wealthy, we've got it all together. And those are the people God said, you guys aren't okay. You, you should go by ISAF because you can't see well. So the, <clears throat> the counsel from the Lord for them. Peter, when he sees the beauty of God as he's walking to him on the water and he's in the midst of the storm and he says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Right? And so the Lord says, it's I, Peter, come. And we know the story, what's Peter do? He gets out of the boat, right? And he's trucking on the water. None of us have ever experienced that. But Peter is walking on the water in the midst of the storm and the waves. When does that change? As soon as his eyes come off of the prize, right? And his eyes go to the wind and the waves and the things around him. And he begins to get afraid of the circumstances. And he loses that boldness he had in the Lord. And he sinks. And I think the same thing is true for us. Paul, when he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but this one thing I do, I keep my eyes on the prize. Right? I keep my eyes on the prize. Not on the things around us, not on the storm, not on the wind, not on the circumstances. Because those that's just part of let's just call it part of the chaos of life, right? These things, these things happen. When Jesus talks about the end of days, he says there to be wars and rumors of wars and and uh Nation will rise up against nation, and then he says, but, but these things must happen, and the end is not yet. He doesn't say, this is the end. He says, no, these are just birth pangs. This is just the beginning of sorrows. This ain't the, we're not, we're not in that. He's saying, this is the beginning of sorrows, but this is how things are going to be. This is kind of the, the chaos of the world, but what's our calm in the storm? putting our eyes on the prize, keeping our eyes on the single most satisfying being in all the universe. The one who, you know, in the midst of all our storm, all our chaos, all our stuff, is able to keep our feet planted even if what we're walking on is wind and waves, right? And so it's a Two baskets are standing there before the temple and the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, what do you see? Where are your eyes? What are you looking at? What are you focused on? It's easy for me to go home and spend the next two hours watching the news and trip out on all the crazy stuff people are doing and people are saying, right? That's easy to do. But what the Lord is asking of me is that I, not that I ignore that stuff, we want to be informed, but that I keep my eyes focused on the prize. Because he is infinitely more valuable than all that other stuff. So when the Lord says to Jeremiah, what do you see? We want to be thinking about, what am I looking at? What am I seeing? What's really happening around me, right? What's really going on? Not jumping at... Uh, 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 you know conclusions that that aren't founded but rather keeping my eyes focused on the prize and then considering lord what am i looking at what's going on around me what's happening my wife says this thing about learning to part of the veil you know maybe you're talking to somebody and they're upset and the words they're saying are upsetting you and if we continue that, then what happens is their upsetting words upset me, so I say upsetting words to them. And now we just get into a cycle where we're just yelling back and forth, right? And nobody's getting anywhere. But but Kathy will say, part the veil. What are they, not what words are they using, what's the cry of their heart? What are they upset about? What, what are they lacking? What are they cr- reaching out for? Learn to hear the things Jesus could hear when people ask questions, right? So he could answer the heart. What's going on in the heart? And we have to want to hear that. We have to want to hear that. Just as Jeremiah, what's going on, Jeremiah? What do you see? So Jeremiah says, I see good figs and bad figs. Bad figs are really bad. Good figs are really good. So, so far, he's doing good, right? Right? Bad, bad figs are bad, good figs, they're good. We want to <clears throat> we want to be able to look at the things around us. What's going on in our world right now? You look around our world and we can start jumping to conclusions, right? I hear all kind of craziness about uh, who the Antichrist is, uh, what period of the tribulation we're in, what chapter of Revelation is going on right now. You know, and I, I think all of those are jumping to conclusions and not paying attention to what's going on around us. There are heart cries being being touted, but all we are hearing is the words they use and we don't like them. But can we hear the cry of the heart? I I was uh I I was challenged by my niece who lives in Arizona, and she wasn't necessarily talking to me, but She posted something on Facebook like, where are are all the pastors? (laughs) And her question was not, where are you at? You guys aren't doing nothing you should be doing. Her question was, we're a bunch of young kids out here standing in the street, shaking our fists, holding up things, but we don't have anybody to lead us, and we don't know what we're doing. And we're looking for somebody to tell us, what should we be doing? And... If we won't ever hear the heart cry of what's going on, we can't see. We're going to assume bad figs, good figs. But you better make sure you're looking at the basket of bad figs. Don't just assume because you're so sure everything they're doing, they must be the bad figs. Because God's going to, hey, he has some surprises for us sometimes, right? He has some surprises. He wants us to be grounded with what he's saying. So then the word of the Lord came to me in verse 4. And he said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good. Don't miss that. Like these good figs, so I will regard as good. That means the other people did not regard these as good. The, The people... In Judah, we're so filled with a patriotic spirit that was like, Man, our nation, we're the greatest nation ever. God loves us more than he loves anybody else. God's watching over us. This is right. We're right. We should fight. We should. God's going to give us victory. God's going to deliver us. Does any of that sound familiar? All those people who are being taken into slavery, there, that's not, those are the bad figs. God says, These good figs. He says, I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, the ones who have been taken in chains, the ones who were drugged out of the city, kicking and screaming. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regard them as good, the exiles from Judah, whom, listen to what he says, whom I have sent away. When God brings judgment, please don't miss us. When God brings judgment, He knows how to deliver the righteous and how to bring the wicked to judgment. Now the righteous going, we're going to read about it again when we get to Jeremiah 29. You guys all have that verse on your fridge, right? So we got Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And we... We pull that out of context. All those people are in chains weeping. Their children are taken away. They're in another line. Their husbands or wives are separated. They're going to be slaves in this part of Babylon. They're going to be slaves in that part of Babylon. Just like the Jews going into concentration camps, some of them families never saw each other again. They're weeping in chains. And God says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. I will regard you as good. You're the good figs. I'm delivering you through the judgment. Now You may not feel like you're being delivered, but you are being delivered. He's going to say on in Jeremiah 29, right, that to go plant, build, make a life, live your life. I am giving you life so you can live. And so the Lord is saying to to Jeremiah. I'm going to regard these as good because I've sent them away to the land of the Chaldeans. But the people all thought that the ones who were still in Judah were God's favorite because obviously this is God's favorite land. This is his favorite nation. We worship in Jerusalem. We have the temple. We're it. So as long as we're here, right, God is, he's happy with us. He's he is carrying us through. But the reality is the purpose for the captives to me echoes what Paul writes in Romans, Romans eight twenty eight for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things is all things? Eh. You mean that diagnosis of cancer can be good? The stroke you didn't see coming the whatever events that we have to endure in our life sometimes the bible lays out for us if you belong to the lord if you are gods then he is using all those things to make his glory more uh, evident to you To work goodness in your life because you're going, the goodness that comes in your life comes into your life because you've discovered more goodness in him. You've discovered more value in him. That brings good into your life. It brings good for you. It pours that good over you and and all of that is accomplishing a purpose. When we can recognize, like Peter, the beauty of Christ on the water in the midst of the storm, and then we can show that to somebody else, right? To know him, to experience him, and to show him to others, look, he is worthy, right? Look at his value. That's that's what the Christian life is all about. Being able to recognize it's not about the circumstances. In Jeremiah uh, 24, 6, he says, I will set my eyes on them, the exiles, the slaves, for good. I'm doing good. None of those people thought it was good. Right? Daniel, think about Daniel. I think about Daniel all the time. Teenage boy living in a palace, gets drug to Babylon and made a eunuch. We just gloss over that. That means somebody else chose for Daniel that he would never have a family, never have a wife, never have any of those things. As a teenager, he probably dreamed of right. Uh, one day I'm going to have kids. One day I'm going to be married. Uh, you know, maybe probably at, the, at at his age, that had already been chosen for him in the among his family. He probably already knew who was going to be his wife, but then came the captivity. Then came the first exile. And Daniel went. Small little phrase in the book of Daniel. Just a little phrase. So Daniel becomes a eunuch. And God gives to him incredible vision, right? That we still are blown away. By the prophecies of Daniel. We're still blown away by the things God revealed to Daniel. Daniel was blown away by all the things God showed him. Did did God do good in his life? Did God exalt him in in Babylon? For sure. Right? Not only does he become like the second in command of Babylon, then then Babylon gets conquered, right, by the Medo-Persians. And where do we find Daniel? At the top again. When have you ever seen that happen? Let's just give a four instance. Let's just say, just for fun, we'll say that, that we have uh, President Trump and uh, uh, Joe Biden running, and Joe Biden wins, and he chooses Pence for his vice president. You ever seen that happen? But that's kind of what it's like, right, when somebody comes in and conquers and says, hey, Daniel, why don't you just stay? You, you stay one of the wise men. You stay by the counselor of the king. That's pretty incredible, right? But there was a lot of disappointment in his life and suffering and things he had to endure. And perhaps there were times, maybe in Daniel's mind, where he thought, maybe God's mad at me. Because these things have been taken away. But what God is saying, the good figs are good, man. He says, I'm going to show them good. I'm going to do good for them. In verse 6, right, I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. That's one of the things in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, this is what your ministry is going to be for, the building and tearing down, planting and plucking up. So for some, he's bringing the word of judgment, right? God's judgment is going to come, and those who are still in Jerusalem are are yet to face continued judgment of God as he pours that judgment out on a disobedient nation. And then this group, who maybe is not certain of their position, they find themselves according to God's prophet. you, You guys are the ones that God has set his eye on good, and he's able to deliver the righteous. Ezekiel's going to be in that number too. Ezekiel, whom, whom some uh, scholars say, didn't on, only talked when God gave him something to say. So if you bumped into Ezekiel at the store in Babylon, he didn't say nothing. He'd just look at you. In fact, most of the time he'd just stay in his house. And then when God gave him something to say, he'd come outside. And all the people would gather, hey, Ezekiel's out. And they'd come out and then Ezekiel would speak. And then when God didn't give him something to say, he didn't have nothing to say. It seems like there's a lesson there too, right? (laughs) I haven't learned that yet. I haven't learned that yet. But he's, God saying to these guys, look, I've got good for you. I'm going to bring you back. So the exiles who go, and here's the thing, really, the exiles who go into the land, I don't remember all the numbers, but the The percentage of exiles that come out and go back into the land is much smaller than those who go. Because of the ones who go into captivity, many of those settle in Babylon. This is good enough for me. Well, you saw the same thing when the children of Israel entered into the promised land, didn't you? Wasn't there a couple of tribes who said, you know, this side of the river is okay. This is good enough for me. But of that number, that's the number of those God's going to bring back. And through that entire process, right, there is a sense of purifying that takes place, of purging idolatry from the hearts of men. And so God's going to prepare and raise these guys up. So look, I'm going I'm to plant them. He says, I'm going to take care of you guys. I'm going to put you here, and then I'm going to bring you back. 70 years. Next chapter, we're going to hear about it. 70 years. That's how long you're going to be there. Daniel's not coming out. The children who go in, they're going to come and see the new temple. They're going to be drawn back. But that generation that goes holds on to the promise. What was the promise? God says he's going to bring us home. This is not the end of the story. Do you believe this is the end of the story? This is as good as it gets? We watch our world spiraling out of control, things burning, people going crazy. Is that is that it? This is the culmination? No, man. There will be a day when we look at our king face to face, when we'll know, even as we are known, he will reign. There will be perfect justice, perfect righteousness. Today, we flail around around trying to accomplish it, but Jesus... He will accomplish it perfectly. We look forward to that day, to that promise. We hold to that promise. So he says in verse 7, So I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. I love this because we'll talk about several places where the Lord talks about this, but <clears throat> here's what God's promise is to them. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to give you a heart, a desire to know me. Hosea six four five and 6, right? The Lord says, what am I going to do with you, Judah? What am I going to do with you, Israel? You guys are, this is Jackie paraphrase You guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. You're doing everything wrong. Uh, you drive me crazy. I would rather have you want to know me than your offerings and your sacrifices. I would rather have your faithfulness than all the things you try to bring me. This is what I want to, for you to know me. The Lord says, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a heart to know that I'm the Lord. I'm going to give you a heart to know that I am Yahweh, to comprehend me. To, the scripture says, the psalmist said, Lord, give me eyes to see beautiful things in your word. That we, we, I want to know you, God, as I pour through the word of God. I want to I be able to grasp something of the glory of God, something of the majesty of God, something of the beauty of God. I want to find find satisfaction as I pursue that single greatest, most satisfying being in all the universe. So the Lord says, I'm going to give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord. And then what's He say? And they will be my people. God was never ashamed to say, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac. Maybe those two aren't so shocking. I am the God of Jacob. Well, maybe that one we go, Wah. you ever had somebody you're you're ashamed to say they're oh they're that's my that's my family. You know, uh we don't talk about him much, you know. <laughs> we he's not in any of the family pictures, you know. Yeah, so, maybe we're that, right? But the idea that God, God is never ashamed of it, right? He says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He never says, oh, Jacob was a no good, nothing. He never says Isaac spent time lying about his uh, wife being his sister, which reminds me of something. Abraham did that, right, twice? Um, the sins of the father past the son. But he never, he, never he, he says, I'm not ashamed to be known as your God. I'm not ashamed for you to be known as my people. There's no, there's no shame. They shall be my people. I will be their God. Listen, for they shall return to me with how much? Whole heart. How do I return to the Lord with a whole heart? I discover the, that he's the all-satisfying one. I discover something of his glory, something of his beauty, Something of his majesty. I think, see, I, I, I only know little things of, of what there is to know about God, but the things I know about God that God has <clears throat> revealed to me through my experience where I have, as the psalmist declared, taste and see. He doesn't just say, no, know that God is good. What's he saying? He says, taste, taste and see. Know the word of God sweeter than honey. Experience this. Experience, understand So in our lives, we come to touch things about the Lord that become our understanding and knowledge of Him that gives us that firm foundation to stand on in the middle of the storm. If the chains are around my feet and around my arms, those things will still not go away. He will still be sweeter than honey. He will still, those things will still be true. I want desperately to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Isn't that what God wants of us? And so he's saying, look, they'll return to me with their whole heart. The idea is not that there's going to be this perfect desire where everything within them only desires God. He's saying they won't have a divided heart. Right now as people have a divided heart, right? They want... Baal, and they want the Lord. They want everything everybody else has, and they want the Lord. They want want both. So their hearts are divided. They have two different desires, opposing desires. What Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, right? You can't can't serve two masters. You can't, you need to have a single focus, right? What did he say to David? David was a was a man after God's own heart. And I would say, not because David was perfect or David never had uh, different desires in his life, but David's single desire was God. He didn't want Baal, he didn't want Ashtoreth, he didn't want Molech, he didn't want something else. He he wanted God. He wanted to know Him. So he's saying, look, they're going to return to me with all their heart. Deuteronomy 36 It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love your God with all your heart, all your soul that you may live. Did you hear what he said? The Lord your God will circumcise you. So God's going to cut on your heart, right? God's going to circumcise, he's going to cut away the junk. He's going to cut that stuff out. How does he cut away that junk? How does God do surgery on our heart if it's not through the storms of life? If it's not through the disappointments, if it's not through the struggles? That God gets in there with the scalpel and he cuts away this gunk and he, he, he allows us to see it, right? Like the potter working the clay, he's pulling out the garbage, the things that are are causing problems. In <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. God's saying, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to accomplish these things in you. God wants that. He He wants us to know him. He wants us to taste and see. He wants us to be able to lay hold of that truth. Jeremiah 32, verse 38 And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. Right? I'm going to give them that single focus. I'm going to give them that one thing. Because if we can come to understand that God, Yahweh, is the single most satisfying thing being Person in all of the universe and the one thing for which we should put our focus after the one that we want to taste and see and handle and hold and know and experience then we're going to discover maybe for some of us for the first time the joy that comes from being so deep into The Lord, so deep into who he is that we lose our focus on all the storm and we see only his beauty, his majesty, his glory. Ezekiel 11.9, Ezekiel, contemporary with Daniel says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit and I will put within them uh, a new spirit I will put within them and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jeremiah says it twice, Ezekiel, or sorry, Ezekiel says it twice, Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So God's willing to do that, right? God's willing to to do that surgery, to mold and to make and to shape as we do what I think the Word of God is calling us to, which is to humble ourselves before the Lord, to fall down on our knees before him to to come to the light, step out of the darkness, to to be drawn to him. And as we're drawn to him, God, God reaches out and he does this work in our heart. He pulls out that hardness. He takes out that goop, the gunk, the garbage, the bad things that that we have from our experiences and our failures and our struggles and all that stuff that we have, God cuts those things out. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will circumcise your heart so you can love me with all your heart. God says, I, this is what God says, this is what I, I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish in you and through you. And so the Lord is saying, man, this is, what's, this is the future for the good figs. This is the future for the good figs. But we still got bad figs to look at. In verse 8 he says, But thus says says the Lord, Like the bad figs that are so bad they can't be eaten, so I will treat Zedekiah the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror." to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I will drive them. Now there's going to be one more exile. There's going to be one more opportunity because God does that. One of the things you, if you read through the The book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and you see all the judgments of God, judgment of God, judgment of God, and then you'll hear this phrase, and still they wouldn't repent, and still they wouldn't repent, and still they wouldn't repent. So you had exile number one, Daniel, and several people are taken in exile. Exile number two, Ezekiel, and several people are taken away into exile. The next one, there's going to be a siege around the city, and Jeremiah is going to walk through the city and say, surrender. You don't have to starve. You don't have to die here. Just walk across the line. Go across the road. Go over there. Nebuchadnezzar will take you in. You can live. You don't have to die here. The path is before them, right? Like we talked about, the two paths, path of life, path of death. And so God's prophet walks through the city and says, the path of life means lay down your sword, stop fighting, Stop holding on to all these things that you have decided are what God wants. Lay those down and walk over there and accept in humility the slavery that God has for you and live. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And those who will cross that line, they'll go into the last exile. And those who don't, are all going to die. They're all going to die. Jeremiah has been saying this. He's going to say this for 40 years. You ever feel like, you know, Jackie's got like one trick pony. He just has one message all the time. I've only been here 10 years, man. You, You haven't heard the same message for 40 years yet. There's only so many messages in the Bible. How about this one? Repent and believe. Yeah, that's a good one. So Jeremiah is going to he's going to deliver this message, deliver this message, deliver this message. And those who stay, just like the word of God says, I will make them a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth. There'll be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, a curse in all the places that I will drive them. Look, this judgment was from the hand of God. Now, is God going to hold Babylon accountable? For sure. He's going to tell us that. We'll read that out of Jeremiah. God says, I'm going to judge Babylon for what they've done. But God says, look, this is my judgment against you. This is the exile that I have purposed for you. This is how you can walk, as good figs or bad figs. I set before you two paths, choose. Nobody was signing up for slavery. They were all sitting back going, whew, I didn't get picked this time. Lucky me. And so Jeremiah says, that's not the way it works. You need to get picked for slavery because then it is lucky you. You're a good fig. You're going to live. You have a life. And when we live, that's the path of life, right? The call to that. So in verse 10 he says, And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave them and their fathers. So the Lord says. I have a future for you. But it doesn't look like you think. I have a plan for you. But it's, it's. Maybe it's not the plan that you want. I have a purpose. But we have to know. And this is the part. This is kind of the rub for me. And the thing I'm, I'm trying to work through currently. As I study. And, and as I seek the Lord. And that is. If. Jesus, if the Lord is the greatest treasure there is then everything else I'm chasing is really just a waste of time because all my joy I'll find in him. All my purpose right, I want to be part of something bigger, I'll find in him. We have a a bunch of kids right now in some city who are Running through, I call them kids because they're 20. Sorry, if you're in the 20s, then you can call them peers. But <laughs> compared to me, they're kids. So they're running through the they're running through the streets, and they're some of them are saying, "Man, I, I don't understand what we're doing. I don't, uh, you know, we want to be a part of something. We want to see change. We want to we want to do something." And there's where's the prophet on the corner? Who says? Hey, this is not the way to what you're looking for. This is not the, the purpose and the plan. Where do those prophets come from? Oh, I'm not looking for a John the Baptist. You don't have to wear camel skin and grow a scruffy beard. You can if you want. Beards are encouraged here. But God's just looking for people who will be willing to stand up and show what they found, the beauty they found in who God is to a people who are knowing that things aren't right, right? It's like, it's like that thing in their brain. I know something's not right, and I don't know what to do, and the wrath of man's never going to accomplish the righteousness of God. We just make it worse, right? Agreed? We make it worse. Everything we try to do to fix something makes it worse and you know i'm i'm a little afraid that the way they're going to solve this problem is to get a bunch of guys with guns on one side and a bunch of guys with guns on the other side and then you have a bunch of dead brothers right we did that once you ask the families who endured the the first civil war there was not no, nothing glorious about that that was brother killing brother that's bad that's all bad but maybe, right, if we can show them this thing that you're lacking in your life, that you're striving for, that you're longing for, this perfect justice or this type of righteousness, let me show you where that is. In the unsearchable riches and value of Jesus Christ. But in order for me to show them that, what do I have to do? I got to know it, don't I? I got to be able to touch it. If I don't have it, then I need, that needs to be my pursuit, right, to To know it, to experience it, and to show it. And maybe that's our way out of this storm we're in. Certainly not to be overwhelmed by the waves and the wind, but to know God is able. And he is worth so much more than all the things everyone's shouting for, right? All the things that are going on. I hope, you know, maybe God will stir something in you to pursue the incredibly immense, unsearchable value and beauty of who God is. There's more to him than what you have right now. And it's a worthwhile pursuit to know him more. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can study. Thank you for the opportunity to search out your word, God. And Lord, I just pray that even as we consider the lesson of the two baskets of figs, God, may we just have this overwhelming hunger, this overwhelming desire to know you, to experience your beauty, your love, your your understanding your justice your righteousness to recognize your wrath all these things that make up who you are and make you both terrible and wonderful and beautiful and majestic it's not even adjectives we run out of words to describe your glory but might we come to know it to taste it to be able to show it. To express that to a world that needs to express that to a people who are clamoring in the dark, falling over one another, running away from the light. May we be able to show the beauty of the light. Oh, sure, it hurts your eyes. Me too. But come into the light beautiful, he's loving, he's worthy, he's worth it all. God, may we, as your people, be able to express that reality to a world that needs to know it, because they're looking for it in all the wrong places, and all they're finding is pseudo-fake Stuff that's going to rip them off and in the end they're going to feel more empty than they felt in the beginning because nothing satisfies like you do so help us show them help us express the beauty of who you are in this world that we might illuminate your glory in some way for those who can't see it So, God, be magnified in this place. Be magnified in our lives, in our expression of you. As we lift you up, Lord, we pray you be be glorified here. In Jesus' name.